0: Missouri lawmakers are headed back to the Capitol this week, and State Senator Jake Hummel says Democrats in the Senate will have a lot to combat during the second half of the legislative session. The St. Louis Democrat joins us on another edition of Politically Speaking, so let's hit the music.
1: This is the Politically Speaking podcast, a candid conversation with the Show Me State's biggest political
0: newsmakers. I'm Jason Merzenbaum.
2: And I'm Joe Manis. That's Eric Greitens,
0: Navy (laughs) SEALs running for governor. And I'm really, really glad to be on with you, Jason and Joe.
3: I'm going to push back
0: And welcome to the Politically Speaking podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today is... Joe Manis. And joining us for the first time as a state senator... Jake Hummel. uh, I I was going to say something more... More More profound. More profound and flowery (laughs) for that, but the senator... uh, uh, short-circuited me. This is, your fourth, this is your fourth time on the show. It is. Do you know about the curse of the fourth? <laughs> I thought it was the
1: curse of the third you told me last time, it, it, which is well, why no. I was really looking forward to the, fir- now the, fourth, the fourth meeting. Now, because, okay,
2: now it's the it fourth because it hasn't hurt Schmidt at all. It so. didn't all right, hurt good. Schmidt <laughs> and it did not
0: hurt uh, Scott Sifton. The curse is that people who have been on this show four times have suddenly had to resign either in disgrace or for good reason. But those two aforementioned people have broken that curse, so Great. you are, Thank you are goodness. safe. So,
1: yeah, I was going to suggest we Meet next week and have another <laughs> one then. Oh my gosh!
2: So so then after that, I mean, so then actually the number of people who it's meant nothing now I, I, I number the people. Yes, <laughs> so a it's no longer good thing. So it no longer occurs.
0: One of the interesting facts about you becoming a senator uh, during an unexpired term is because of when you were sworn in you could actually serve for the next 10 years That's is that correct. is that correct it is and that that hasn't happened very often I think Victor Callahan may be the only person where that fell into but I, I think Senator
1: curls gets at least nine years yes if
0: I'm if I'm not mistaken but I believe I'll be the first senator
1: since term limits to get 10 years yes
0: I, it's 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 a it's kind of part of a a, a a change in the term limit laws that which I think was passed in 2002. Because there were some instances where somebody would be elected to the Senate in an unexpired term mm-hmm. and they could only serve five or six it years. The,
2: I think it was the Jefferson County role because yeah. of I what see. happened to um, Brainlock, but um, the father of the recent last Democrat state senator. Bill the McKenna? McKenna? Yes.
0: And also Maida Coleman fell yeah. into that. that yeah, but
2: Bill as well. McKenna, it affected him.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I believe it's
1: the, you know, if you serve one day less than half a term, it does not count one day over does count.
0: Now, just remind our listeners, what does the 4th District encompass? I mean, I know it because I live there, but not everybody does.
1: So it runs from basically the farthest southernmost point of uh, South St. Louis, all the way to the farthest north point of the St. Louis City, all the way up to the Chain of Rocks Bridge. Um, It goes out into St. Louis County, picks up Richmond Heights, Shrewsbury, parts of Maplewood, Uh, goes out Highway 40 to McKnight, picks up Brentwood, um, just on the edge of Ledoux.
2: And wasn't this at one time, maybe the boundaries were slightly different, occupied by by the infamous Jeff Smith?
1: It is. Actually, (laughs) I uh, just recently got a piece of mail addressed to to Senator Smith in my office, um, and I I sent it to Senator Kevney and— Told him that clearly uh, there was an oversight that uh, they had missed him as well.
0: And is he still an administrative law judge? Yes, he is. Oh, yes, I, he is. I, I didn't know Kevin, whether yeah. I didn't know whether that was a fixed term or whether he got swept out of office after Greitens won. No, those
1: are those are actually uh, those judges are uh, retained by a, a board made up of. Uh, Legislators um, that I believe happens every couple of years, right?
0: And I, I think he recently resigned as 28th Ward uh, committeeman which he had he held did, for a long time. He
1: did. Th- he actually did that right after
0: um, the selection process. So I, I Lyda Crusan's Twitter account actually pointed that out. But enough uh, jibber jabber. <laughs> We're here to talk about kind of what to expect in the second half of the legislative session. Sure. Um, as I'm sure many of our listeners know. Uh, the Democrats are outnumbered, but in the Senate, they could potentially put up a fight. Yeah,
2: and you have kind of a unique perspective because A, you used to be in the House, right? and B, you're a statewide labor official. That's correct. So, I mean, you have kind of different perspective than maybe some legislators who didn't have that experience.
1: I'm trying to find a job I'm good at, Jim.
0: <laughs> but it hasn't been a good couple months for labor. Yes. And we, no, we, all, we all knew that this was coming. Um, sure. We I think that it was pretty much a foregone conclusion once Eric Greitens won that, quote unquote, right to work, which is shorthand that proponents use to describe <laughs> a bill that would that would bar unions and employers from requiring workers to pay dues as a condition of employment, Right. Um, was going to become law. And right. right now, it hasn't become effective, but it was passed. That's right. So, I, as somebody who has given a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to the labor union uh, movement, had to be disappointing when that occurred, but not unexpected.
1: Sure, I mean, we knew it was coming um, if uh, Eric Reitens was uh, sworn in as the next governor, and um, you know, it's something that we've we've worked hard to present or to uh, to stop. But you know, that's that's the reality that we are in, and um, a- as you were probably well aware, we have. Uh, we have uh, ballot initiatives that we're going to do. We're going to do a citizens' referendum, and and hopefully take that to the voters. Um, which would, if if we collect enough signatures, that's going to freeze the law from going into effect um, until the voters have a say in November of 2018.
2: So, how's the signature gathering going?
1: Well, we haven't started yet. We um, there was a lawsuit um, that that's was what filed, I um, and. Uh, we've resolved those issues and we're we're probably only a week or so away from having that hopefully having that ballot ballot language approved Uh, you know it went it was ridiculous it went so far as to say well we need to know exactly where you're going to put the staple on the page um, before we approve this and so it was very clearly a delaying tactic Um, by Ashcroft's office yes yes um, to uh, to slow down that signature collection process but uh, in a very short time we we Think that that's going to be approved, and we'll start collecting signatures.
0: Well, the big question I've been asking is because the the amount of Missourians in labor unions has dwindled over the years; they've become kind of compacted in the urban areas, and you have to get signatures in a certain amount of congressional six districts. Six of eight. Yes. And many of which may not have a lot of labor union members there now. They
2: have retired. There
0: may be retirees. Is that going to be a problem to get signatures? No, I don't believe so. Actually, in, in
1: fact, in six of the eight congressional districts, we already have the density if we just had our members sign on.
0: Really? Really? Yes. So um, if it ends up being put up to a citizen's referendum, based on the results of the last election, where Somebody ran for governor, mm-hmm. said I'm going to sign right to work, and the people <laughs> elected him. How do you think that reality would make a ballot measure fair? Essentially, well, well,
1: well let me let me give you a, a very hopefully a brief story. Um, a, a friend of mine who's an electrician as as I am, uh, his wife is a public school teacher in mm-hmm. St. Louis County, um, and after the election, you know, she went to school, and um, some of her teachers noticed that she was. Um, she was upset. She was, she was nervous. You know, she was, she was worried about her husband's occupation and, and their well-being as a family. And, uh, you know, some of the teachers had asked her, they said, what's the matter? And she said, well, you know, I'm really nervous um, about my husband's job right now. I, I'm, I'm nervous for the future. Um, and she said, why? And she said, well, I'm sure that now Greitens is going to sign uh, right to work. Um, and they said, well, what do you mean he's going to sign right to work? We'd, he never said anything about that. Um well, you know, you and I well, we we did. read the paper. Of course he did. Um in and fairness. It, it was all over sub public it was all over social media. Um it was in all the newspapers. I wrote about it, certainly. Absolutely. Times. Uh, but I think that we've what we found is that even even among our educators, we have a lot of people that do not follow uh, the news on a daily basis. I would bet that, you know, the readership of the of the post dispatch is down. You know, I know that when I started as an electrician in nineteen ninety seven Um, When I went on a job site, every single person at my table at lunch had a newspaper. And if you didn't have one, uh, you could borrow someone else's, but everyone said, you better get a newspaper and become informed. And when I stopped working in the field, I can tell you that I was the only one that had a newspaper and that everybody got one or two things from social media, and and that was it. so we have an, an electorate that is increasingly uninformed, I think. Uh, And and I think that's a shame. But they didn't realize what they had done.
0: Well, I was just going to say, I've heard anecdotes from both union leaders and lay members that a lot of their colleagues voted for Greitens and Trump, even though they knew potentially what the stakes were. Well, that signals to me two things. One, it could be that they weren't educated, but two, that... Democratic candidates didn't do a very good job of pointing out that if they voted for Greitens right to work or any of these other labor stuff we're gonna talk about was gonna happen. I agree.
2: Yeah, I, I, I mean think I there's... don't think Coster underscored it enough. Right. Now but to be fair, when Trump carries a state by almost nineteen That's points, right. and I've told Coster this, yes. so I'm not saying anything sure. is that chances <clears throat> are it probably wouldn't have affected him. He lost by five, maybe he would have lost by
1: two or three. I agree with you. I could, you, I, you know, know. It, it's hard to overcome a 20-point deficit um, for anybody. Um, and, you, and you look at, at how how well Trump carried the state. Um, I, I don't think there's anything that, that Chris Coster could have done differently that would have carried him over a 20-point margin. I mean, it's just almost impossible to make up.
0: So I want to talk about what's coming next because right. right to work, it wasn't the only thing that Republicans were thinking of doing. I'm going to play a clip now from Holly Rader, who's a Republican from Sykeston, who talked about what could be down the pike mm-hmm. when it comes to bills that may curb the influence of labor unions.
3: You know, right now there is uh, Representative Steve Helms has a bill that is, you know, one of the arguments that we've heard from the union side is the free rider concern. Right. And um, and so federally, the, su- the Supreme Court has ruled that, all the unions have to do is not put that in their contract initially. So say their, their contract with Boeing, they just don't put in there th- you know, that they're going to represent everyone. But the bill that, that Representative Helms is carrying makes that much more clear and says that the unions don't have to pay, don't have to represent someone who's not a paying Member. Well, does
2: that mean if that person doesn't get the same pay that the union members could pay?
3: That person would have to negotiate their pay with the company on their own.
0: So in addition to that, there's also going to be efforts to curtail the prevailing wage. There's going to be roadblocks to take automatic deduction of dues. And there has been the argument that even if right to work is repealed, if the legislature passes all these other things, mm-hmm. labor unions power and influence and ability to function are going to be denigrated so badly that right to work is almost the least of their problems what's kind of your your, your outlook for the rest of the session
1: well, well first of all that that is obviously the point of passing all this legislation there's no one beating down their door in their districts to to pass this uh, this and 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 first let me counter what representative Rader said mm-hmm. that is absolutely not true there is federal case law that unions still have to represent those employees whether they pay dues or not so that is absolutely not true you don't have to currently right now you don't have to be a member of a labor union correct as you a condition have, of employment you
2: just have to pay you have to pay, pay that
1: fair share fee which is directly related to the rep the cost of representation for you and your in your mm-hmm. collective bargaining so you absolutely do still get the same pay as all the union members you just have to pay that that fair share fee. Uh, So to suggest that you have to be a union member uh, as a condition of employment is simply just not true. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but, uh, going back to your point of what's going forward in this session I think that you're absolutely right that we first of all we've seen two separate lines of attacks. We have uh, one on on, uh, reform in the court system on tort reform and one on uh, an attack on uh, working families in the state. And and you're right. If if this continues to if we continue to go down this path, you know we've we've already seen um, the paycheck bill up on the house, and and not just um, I want to touch on that for a second. Not just a normal uh, paycheck bill where it simply says you can no longer deduct um, dues off your check. Um, You know there was no bill to say you can no longer deduct. Um, United Way contributions on there. This is this is simply an attack on organized labor. Uh, but this this says you have to have a, a new election for every public sector bargaining unit every two years. I mean that's just that's just ridiculous. We don't do that for Missouri senators. Uh, we still are elected every four years, and we spend twenty seven billion dollars, the taxpayers' money. Uh, so the, you know those things don't don't. Uh, Don't hold up. There's no one beating down their doors to say we need this, other than uh, um, some some business interests.
2: Well, as the number two guy statewide for the state AFL CIO, I mean, kind of how do you counter some of this? Assuming that it becomes law anyway. In other words, there are some who point to Nevada Mm -hmm. as a case of where it's a right to work state, but labor has arguably become more powerful because of uh, how they've tried to make themselves indispensable sure. to the workers and also to the employers, at least in uh, Las Vegas. I'm just interested in, in, in your thoughts about how labor may have to retool in Missouri or maybe not.
1: Well, I think that, uh, first of all, it, it, if this passes, um, uh, of course, there's always change in any organization. But um, if you look at what happened in uh, Michigan, for example, the change in membership um, was less than 1% or right at 1% difference. Um, the United Auto Workers did a, an amazing job in that state um, of of going out and educating their members on why it's important to pay dues. Um, and so, c- certainly, um, multiple states have done different things, but it isn't always the, the death blow that, that people take it for. I mean, people still, you know, people still want to belong to their union. They 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 realize that they're not going to get these wages and benefits um, that everyone else has, and whether people. Uh, know it or not, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of people that say, well, I'm not in a union, you know, why does this affect me? Well, I, I can tell you firsthand, because I've worked in the industry, that non-union wages are as high as they are in this state, because the union wage and benefit level package is where it is. If it wasn't so, somewhere close to there, they would have mass defection into, into the roles of organized labor. And so those non-union um, workers are, are paid at a level Um, Not quite there, uh, but a lot of them um, are paid at a decent level because the union wage and benefit package is what it is.
0: I I don't want to get too granular here, but from doing some reporting, my understanding is if you're in a trade union and you depend on your trade union to get you work, Mm -hmm. the chances of you deciding not to pay dues to that union are pretty low because you see the benefit of that union because they are responsible for your, your living. Where it might be more consequential is if you're in a factory and you have to join in a union first for whatever reason or you don't have to join a reunion but you pay a representation fee and that's where there may be a greater effort among management to try to get people not to pay dues that's my understanding i'm not sure if that's what you've heard or whether people are going to pay dues regardless but that's I, kind of my understanding I,
1: I think it would affect the trades less than it does some of the other public sector and pri- other private sector uh, manufacturing Unions. I think that's correct.
0: So I want to kind of shift gears to some of the other things I think are going to be impactful, especially in the Senate. The House, for example, just passed a a pretty substantial changes to how charter schools Mm -hmm. are available. Um, I know that the House Democrats were almost universally opposed to this bill which I think basically sets the framework for charter schools to open in certain rural counties. I'm being a little over general here. But one of the interesting things that I've found with this issue is a lot of St. Louis and maybe even some Kansas City representatives represent areas with lots of charter schools and a lot of their constituents like charter schools. And it kind of clashes with this messaging that I've heard from Democrats kind of saying charter schools are parasitic or mm-hmm. they 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 fail often. As someone who represents the city of St. Louis, how are you going to kind of come at this bill, and how do you kind of see the issue of charter schools, knowing that a lot of your constituents like them, even if a lot of education groups don't?
1: Sure. Well, it's a, it's a really complicated issue, especially in St. Louis City and maybe in parts of St. Louis County, right, where... Um, there are. I I can tell you that one of the uh, charter schools that's uh, that's just that's in my ward, but not necessarily in my senate district, is the Crandallit Leadership Academy, mm-hmm. um, and people like going there. They have some of the worst test scores amongst all the charter schools in the state. Um, uh, what was the uh, charter school recently that was in the paper that uh, um, the sponsor kept? kept renewing them, and, and they were not, their, their charter was they wasn't pulled uh, from becoming a charter school, and their test scores are amongst the lowest in the state. Um, charter schools came about when the St. Louis public school system uh, began to fail, and, and parents felt trapped um, with that public school system, um, and, and so now you have these charter schools that um, some of them have done extraordinarily well. Um, and some of them have, have not. And I, I would say it's probably a mixed bag, somewhere around 50-50 yeah. that are performing at or above what the public school system is performing, and 50 percent of them that are are, are either below or, or well below. And, and that mechanism is currently not in place um, to the right degree to get rid of the underperforming charter schools um, and and, and I think that's a problem. And so now we, we're in a situation that is, that is new to us, right? The, the St. Louis public schools have come back in a big way. And uh, I give a lot of credit to uh, the superintendent, uh, Calvin Adams, um, the uh, teachers union, um, for AFT 420 under Mary Armstrong. Uh, they've, they've partnered together um, to, in some ways, get rid of underperforming teachers um, and, and exchange um, you know, raises. Um, uh, for those teachers trying to retain teachers in an urban setting is extraordinarily difficult especially at the salaries that they're making um, And they've created a partnership and now here we are where they have they're back to uh, having full accreditation in St. Louis Public Schools and so where do we go from here um, I, I, I don't think that that we're in a position to get rid of those charter schools that are performing um, where people are sending their their children um, but certainly uh, we have to recognize the fact that the St. Louis public school system has come back in a big way and has done some amazing things with, with what they have to work with. Um, and, and, and so it's a, it's, it's a balance, right? Do we, I don't think that expanding charter schools across the state of Missouri is, is the right thing to do. Uh, certainly I understand what happened in St. Louis City where parents needed that other option. Um, but I don't believe the mechanism is there even in the current bill. Uh, to weed out the bad charter schools, and now, that that's a point of contention for me.
2: Now, one of the things that that I've always assumed, based on when I've been when I've been in Jeff City, is that um, out state legislators, and we're talking Republicans mm-hmm. here, have never been fans of charter schools. That's right, because the public school system in their area often is one of the biggest employers. That's
1: right, and at the highest wages.
2: Yes, and all the kids go there. Mm-hmm. Um, so. And they already are trying to make sure they get enough money for transportation, some other stuff. They're already battling the governor right. of their own party over some of this. So my question is, is this bill, does it have the Republican support it's going to need in outstate?
1: And I, I think the answer is, is no. And, in fact, if you saw what happened with the, with the initial vote, what was it, 83? Um you know, there was a significant, significant amount of arm twisting to get that done. And, you know, I'm friends with uh, a lot of the Republican legislators outstate on, on, on different social media platforms. And um, I will tell you that the comments that I have seen on some of the ones that voted for this proposal uh, were, were pretty brutal. Um, and I think that you're going to find that a lot of these people have made a, a terrible mistake in their own districts. Um, and it's going to come back to haunt them.
2: Um, is some of this being pressed by some of uh, the major Republican donors, such as Rex Singfeld, who, is, who has been keenly interested in um, well, of course education and and expanding of uh, charter schools and vouchers and that sort of thing? Absolutely.
0: Well, I want to play a clip now from the soon-to-be mayor, Lida Krusen, because I think that she's favored to be a Republican Yeah, but and...
2: I don't think we should say soon-to-be yet. We could say...
0: Presumptuous?
2: No, we could say... <laughs> That she's the favored candidate, but there are six candidates on the ballot.
0: So I asked her through Don Marsh yesterday Mm -hmm. whether her position on charter schools, which is a lot more favorable. It's very similar to how Mayor Slay saw charter Mm -hmm. schools as being kind of an instrument to keep people in the city, was kind of crosswire with many legislative Democrats. And I think it matters because a lot of times Democrats play a bigger role in charter school bills because they're in their districts. Here's what she had to say.
3: I don't know about cross wire messaging. Um, I, I can only speak for myself, and that is that. You know, there are, today. I think there are ten or eleven thousand kids in the city of St. Louis being educated in charter schools. Mm-hmm. Charter schools are like any other group of schools. Some of them are better than others, and just like St. Louis public schools has some of the best schools in our state. Metro High School, I think, was voted number one mm-hmm. or very, you know, a year or so ago. Uh, there are also some uh, not so good schools so so there is room in our educational system I think for both St. Louis public schools and for charter schools and frankly for parochial schools which have done a great job of educating a lot of kids over uh, you know the decades in in the city of St Louis so yeah I continue to support charter schools as as a, a choice and I think if I'm not mistaken the state just, this week or last week approved a charter school for the for all districts in the state i think well actually i think the house approved that yeah. i don't know that if that's made it through the uh, senate I, yet I, I don't think i don't think it has it's being talked about
0: so you know obviously like mayor Slade before potential mayor crusent she's going to probably <laughs> come to the legislature and advocate for a whole host of issues including mm-hmm, sure. possibly charter schools i'm interested how she's going to be received by your caucus in the Senate and House Democrats, if she, she makes those types of arguments that charter schools are a, go, a good thing when a lot of your colleagues see them as a bad thing. Sure, well, let me, let me start by saying
1: this. If you would ask the mayor, uh, the, the current mayor, uh, what one of the number one issues facing him was um, in trying to keep families in St. Louis City, and it would, it would be the school system. Well, it's been that way for 40 years. Y- yes, it has. Um, and, and some of that is real, and I think some of it is imagined. I think that, to be perfectly honest, I think there's a stigma out there that um, a lot of people um, in in South St. Louis don't want to send their kids to a school um, that they perceive as an African-American school, and I think it would be... Um, dishonest to say that that is not out there because it absolutely is. And so I think that um, we have to start being honest with ourselves and say that it's not just a matter of the public school system failing. It's a matter of white flight where um, white parents don't want to send their kids to those public schools. Um, and whether that's real or imagined, I think that's certainly out there. And so we have to figure out a way uh, to move past that. Our public school system is uh, increasingly getting stronger. Um, we've had um, the city voters just approved a property tax increase for the first time in, I believe, 20 years uh, to support the public school system. And, and I think it's important to move, move in that direction.
2: Now, to be fair, I mean, because I've been covering this off and on for 40 years. um, uh, Part of the problem is also it's not just white flight. It's middle class black flight. I mean, sure. I mean, a a huge percentage of the middle class African-Americans have moved out of the city into the county the last 30 years. But
0: to the senator's point, I made it a point to ask all the mayoral candidates what they were going to do to get upper middle class and middle class white families in St. Louis to get more invested in the St. Louis public school system. Because I I tend to agree with you that if we just have a school system that is primarily full of impoverished African Americans, even if it was a just impoverished white people, it's not a recipe for success right. because those students who deal with the problems of poverty and, and socioeconomic problems have less of a chance to succeed um, and so the, the school scores are, as a whole are going to be lower by, mm-hmm. by by just those types of factors. And I'm not sure what Mayor Cruson can do to reverse that. Even if she was saying we need to do this, everybody should send their kids to public schools. I'm not sure people would listen. But I think it's part of the role as, as a bully pulpit of the mayor's office to, to send that message that, this needs to happen, essentially.
1: And, and, and let me say this. I don't believe for a second that the the incoming mayor is going to be an advocate for only charter schools. I think no. she's going to be an advocate for St. Louis education. Mm-hmm. Um, and I certainly... Listen, I don't... I, I'll be the first person to say that if that bill comes to this floor of the Senate, that I'm not going to vote for it. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to vote to expand charter schools in, in the rest of the state when clearly half of them have failed in St. Louis City. Um, I don't believe that... Um, I, I don't believe that when you can cherry pick who your students are, um, that that's saying that you have success in your school. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, having said that, how many kids in, in St. Louis go to a charter school said it's 11,000, I certainly am not going to take that option away from them. Right. Um, and, and so we've got to strike a balance. And um, I, I certainly, uh, I, you know, I, I keep going back to it, but um, the 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 strides that the public school system has made in St. Louis City, I don't think are being talked about enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we should all as elected officials in St. Louis um, be a better advocate for what they have done um, and how far they have come in a relatively short amount of time. And
0: and just to to be clear, because I think it was evident in that clip, I think Crusen has done that, and I think that she has emphasized that she's going to be speaking up for all the different options. Whether that is successful, since a lot of these options compete with each other, mm-hmm. that's a whole other issue altogether.
2: Now, um, some of the other issues that may be coming up in the, in the second half of the session, I mean, abortion or reproductive rights, it always comes up um in some way there's some other i mean i've noticed that there isn't a huge gun bill this time but then there's the 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 main challenge is the budget i mean you guys have what um maybe five weeks Mm -hmm. um to get a budget passed into the governor's desk maybe six and um and i know there's lots of challenges because of the lower lower um, budget revenue than what had been expected so I'm I'm just interested in your thoughts about what may or may not happen, or at least how the Democrats are going to approach it.
1: Well, you know, if we talk about the budget for a minute, um, the budget that the House is crafting right now, my understanding, uh, doesn't look a whole lot like uh, the governor's proposed budget um, that has that has come out there. You know, um, one of the proposals coming from uh, Representative. Fitzpatrick um, is fully funding the foundation formula, and I and I, while I think that's a good thing, um, you know, I think that's that's a bit of smoke and mirrors since we've twice voted to lower the amount of uh, the foundation formula. So just last year we lowered that amount, um, and you know, it, it wasn't a priority before, and now all of a sudden it's a priority to get to that artificial number that we just lowered um, to say, look, here we are, we fully funded the foundation formula, while at the same time, uh, the governor said, I'm not going to take any money out of K through 12 classrooms, uh, but we've cut uh, how many million dollars out of transportation and said, well, I didn't touch a single classroom. Well, that's just being dishonest. You can't take $50 million out of public transportation, out of school transportation and pretend like it's not going to come out of the classrooms those kids still have to get to school um, and that money's going to come out of the the school's budget
2: well and that particularly hits rural Missouri absolutely where, where the school districts have very high tra- transportation and, things and I know some of the other programs like parents as teachers and other education related things are taking hits
1: and to your point this is these are his constituents um, that that he's alienating um, these charter school, expansions I can tell you that uh, those superint those rural superintendents uh, carry a pretty big stick out there in, in in Missouri and and to your point they were uh, they're the uh, a group of probably the best paid people in the county um, they have a lot of influence in the in the public uh, arena um, whether they try to be or not and when you start taking away from those school districts um, especially on transportation I think you're you're, you're looking for a recipe for disaster.
2: Are there any particular things that you're gonna be pushing for as far as either getting in the budget or blocking from the budget when it gets over to the Senate?
1: Well, uh, you know, again, I, not particularly um, as far as the budget goes. Look, I'm not on budget. and I'm not on any of the appropriations. Um, I used to be over in the House, but I can tell you that the work that the Budget Committee does, regardless of party, um, they work extraordinarily hard Um, trying to craft that um, especially in times of 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 slim revenue um, is extraordinarily hard and i'm going to trust them to do the best job they can but the governor has uh in the house have zeroed out the uh inspectors and department of labor yes um the you know these are the inspectors that go out there not only on and look for prevailing wage violations um but but look at child labor um, and minimum wage enforcement. And uh, I'm going to fight to get those inspectors back in the budget.
0: Is there any chance that higher education won't take a hit? Because I actually wrote about this for National NPR. Because so much general revenue money goes to fund higher education, it almost always gets hit when budget problems happen. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really seem like there's really any way to balance a de- Budget with less revenue without hitting higher education. What's well, there your, what, is.
1: We could get rid of the uh, corporate tax cuts that we did, or the um, half percent interest interest or income tax cut that we did. That's going to cost us eight hundred million. Can you do that
0: without triggering the Hancock Amendment, though? Uh, probably not. Yeah. Well, um, and, can,
2: yeah. But, well, yeah. One of the things I was wondering about that, playing devil's advocate on some of this. Now, in the corporate taxes you probably do run into a problem because they were much, They've been. The uh, loss of revenue has been much hugely more, mm-hmm. to quote, quote Trump here, uh, than what had been predicted, uh, like 10 times more. Yeah,
1: I think it was $12 million it was estimated yeah, by the budget so office. I guess, and, now so I guess and this is an times, over $100 million? But
2: but on the other tax cuts that are slated to come, go on down the road, I'm mm-hmm. talking about the individual ones, couldn't, I mean, I'm just playing devil's advocate. Couldn't the legislature do something about those and not trigger Hancock if they haven't gone into, into effect, effect yet?
1: Yeah. Well, that would take some political courage that we're just not going to see.
0: Yeah. On, on that other bill that you mentioned, it was basically a way of changing corporate accounting, which caused a lot more money to, to come out of the budget than expected. It's been written about several times. Right. One of the things I noticed is only six people voted against that, including a lot of Democrats voted for it. I'm pretty sure you voted for it too. Um, I'm just wondering, like, did you not get good information about that bill? Essentially, like, what? What? Obviously, Republicans control everything, so I want I don't want to let them off the hook. But the governor also signed this, and that was Jay Nixon too. Well,
2: because he was believing it too. Now it does mean that somebody didn't do their homework.
0: So what happened there?
1: Well, you know, look, the 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 we have we have fiscal oversight. We have uh, a a a budget review process you know when we look at these fiscal notes um, both sides of the aisle um, when they see a fiscal note come out attached to a bill we look at the dollar figure associated and if I recall and I could be incorrect I believe that was about 12 million dollars we thought was going to come out of I wrote a big story about this
2: actually last fall when it first started showing up and uh, before um, the change in
1: governors, right.
2: But since then, it's been more difficult to get the um, some state officials to talk about it. Sure. But yeah, I mean that's when and, it first and started to noticed. we have to we
1: have to trust those those numbers because, quite frankly, um, we're not accountants, we're not number crunchers, and um, both sides um, have the ability to challenge those fiscal notes. Um, but I think. You know, we, we took it at its word that it was only going to cost that $12 million um, and that there was a, a real need to do this, uh, that we were losing some of these um, businesses to some surrounding states and we were putting our corporate tax rate um, more in line with some of the surrounding states. So we um, we all went down that road, including Governor Nixon. And, and here we are in a situation where it's cost us an additional $90 million Um And in a budget deficit year of 500 plus million dollars, that would go a long way to restoring some cuts that are gonna have to be made.
0: Yeah, and to be fair to Governor Nixon, when only six people vote against it, even if he had vetoed it, it probably would have been overturned, most likely. Though but, we don't know. You but, know, we don't know. If, yeah, that, but
2: everybody was. I mean, right. I was around when that was passed. That's how it was sold on both sides. That's so, right. So everyone I, thought it was like in line I with mean, the we, franchise tax, mm-hmm. which basically costs about sixteen million a year. Yeah.
0: So I I do want to put that out there. I want to just ask more generally, as a legislator. Um, what is kind of your impression of of Governor Greitens? How he's dealing with the legislature? I know he's dealing probably more with the Republicans more than the Democrats, but on a charter school bill like this, where sure. a lot of Republicans are going to defect, his relationships with the other party could matter. What what what's, what are kind of your impressions of himself? So well, I don't
1: know. He's he's. I know that he's uh, uh, been invited to come and speak to our caucus, um, and has never come. Uh, so I you know I've never had a meeting with him, um, and I've he's never tried to reach out to me and 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 to be fair uh neither have I um I and that's not that's nothing against the governor uh but I can only imagine um that uh you know having never been in office before and going to be the the uh the um leader of the state as you will is is probably fairly taxing um and 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 I have not uh have not met with him one on one, nor asked him to do so. If if he needs to talk to me, he, he's perfectly willing to perfectly willing to do with it um, whenever he likes.
0: Do you know if you're you're his state senator or is Senator Nasheed, his state senator? I believe that Senator Nasheed
1: told me that she was. Oh, I, I don't know if be, are the, the lines down Kings Highway now. This go is back for the place in where the he's not living end? right
2: now, because they're in the governor's because center. as
0: i as I've noted before, he's actually the first. St. Louis City resident. He's not a St. Louis City native. He's a St. Louis County native. But he lived in St. Louis City before he got elected. He's the first St. 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 Louis City to become Statewide. governor in a long time. That's right. And um, I I don't know if that's going to affect how he effectuates policy in St. Louis. We're only like two months or three months into his term. I think mm-hmm. we're going to have To have a longer time, but it does. It does. From talking with him, I do get a sense he understands the issues and the problems here because he sees it on an everyday basis. Now, whether that brings about policy that Democrats that represent St. Louis City like, or whether St. Louis citizens like, remains to be seen. I don't know what if you have any observations on that. No,
1: I I I hope that's the case, and you know, I think that the the impression out there is that the legislature is is run by outstate rural Republicans. Um, and I think that's true, um, but now you have a governor that has at least been living in St. Louis City, um, and hopefully understands the problems that are unique to St. Louis to living in an urban environment.
2: Now, what are the issues that other issues that either you expect to come up or that you expect to play a role in, and then in 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 this final couple months of the session?
1: Well, uh, you know the the calendar is uh, is getting very deep over in the Senate right now, and I think that. Um, you know, for a while there, we were only passing one bill a week out of the out of the Senate, and I think that what, at least from some of the Republican standpoint, what I've seen is that they're starting to realize that their bills are dying, that their uh, priorities are probably not going to get over the finish line because we've, you know, we've been working on some of these, uh, let's call them donor issues, um, for the whole first half of the session, um, and and so I I think that when we get back, what we're going to see is. Some of these smaller issues that, uh, such as, um, just I I think just individual um, individual priorities of each senator I think are going to get a lot of floor time. Nothing very specific. I think we're going to continue to see the tort reform efforts. Um, We're going to continue to see um, the uh, attack on working families. Um, uh, But I think that you know some of the individual smaller legislative priorities of individual senators are going to start to take precedent.
2: Now. are there any things that, I mean, aside from the ones that we've talked about, that you plan to either block or try to block or that try to push? I mean, granted, you're in the minority. Sure. But but, but in the Senate, the minority still has some mm-hmm. muscle.
1: Well, sure. I, and, I mean, I have my own priorities that, that I'm working on. Um, okay. Uh, one bill particular is um, the um, um, Anderson um, – Electric Shock Drowning Prevention Act. Um, We have a a problem specifically down at the Lake of the Ozarks where children and and adults are being electrocuted uh, by faulty wiring on their docks and Amron, Missouri, the surrounding municipalities have done nothing to address um, the issues that are down there and so I've been working on legislation for the last couple of years uh, to try to address that. And so that's, you know, that's something that's very important to me. I am an electrician. I know the dangers. Um, and and it it's something that uh, no one seems to have an interest in.
2: Really? And uh, now uh, you also have somewhat of a unique perspective because your wife just recently got elected to the...
1: She did. She well she's the Democratic nominee for for the 11th ward at the Board of Aldermen.
0: And Correct. Sarah Wood Martin, who I've known for a long time. I think I first met her in 2008 when she was managing Mary Still's successful state representative campaign.
2: Will that help you from the standpoint of I mean your wife at least giving you a sense of what's going on at City Hall? Will that I mean since since you will be you, you represent a sizable chunk of the city. I do. do will that help? As far as
1: oh, of course, absolutely. I, I I think that's a I think it's a good thing. You know, I I try to stay up with what happens at the board of aldermen. Um, uh, my as as you know, my next door neighbor is the current alderman, um, and I you know he's going to let me know what's going on. Whether I'd ask him to, I was going to say Tom,
0: Tom Villa <laughs> does live next door, so but, I think he was going to be well informed. This, you know, I was pretty informed,
2: <laughs> as well, anyway, one way or another. because I think this is an unusual situation. Although we've had another number of aldermen who have been, I mean. A number of, let's say, legislators who were committeemen, and so mm-hmm. they're, yeah. they are they knew the aldermen. Yeah, also, I'm also the committeeman in the Well, election. in fact, that's what <laughs> I, w- I was just working there. What? <laughs> I was
0: just going to say, like, Rochelle Walton Gray is a county councilwoman, and her husband, Alan Gray, is a state representative. That's right. So this is not a completely unusual situation. No, but that's in the right. state
2: senate, it is. This, I mean, no? I can't recall right? the last time that a state senator had a spouse on the board of aldermen. Oh, alderman. all right.
1: In the St. Louis. Well, I'm, I'm happy to be hopefully the first. Then. Yeah, well, does she know what she's getting into? You know, I, I hope she does. Um, I you know let me let me just say this for all of the aldermen. Yes. Um, you know when I was in the in the Missouri House at 37,000 constituents roughly in each district, um, and now I have upwards of 160, 170,000 in my in the state Senate. For every phone call that I get. Um, in either of those offices uh, for a constituent issue, the aldermen each get 10 yes. or 11. That's and they true. have only 11,000 constituents. And so it's a different type of government. It's a closer relationship with your constituents. Um, you know, my, my trash didn't get picked up, uh, the curb is broken, my sidewalks cracked, the, the tree limb fell, the street lights out. Um, they get all of these issues um, and they struggle with funding in St. Louis City. Uh, to, to take care of all those services. And so the aldermen do an amazing job with the limited resources that they have, every one of them. Um, and it, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a taxing job, and, uh, and I appreciate all of their service.
0: Well, we're going to have some of the new aldermen on over the next few months. Um, John Collins Muhammad will be on the show in April, and Sarah Woodmartin will also be invited on. I know she's really excited to especially talk about whether she's going to carry on Tom Villa's tradition of wearing very flashy sport coats.
1: Absolutely. You know, I have some colorful things that I would be happy to loan her, but I think we've we've talked to Alderman Villa, and I don't know that he's willing to part with any of his attire. We'd have to significantly alter it, um, but uh, perhaps that he can show us some of those uh, clothing locations that he shops at.
0: And I will just emphasize, too, that I know that future Alderwoman Martin cares more about issues than just what she's going to be wearing. I yes. want to make that Absolutely. very, 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 yes. very clear. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. Follow Joe on Twitter at...
2: J Manis. That's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S.
0: And how can we follow you on Twitter? At Jacob Hummel. We'll be back next time. Until then, so long.